Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, Sound Off, Leadership Lessons with Airman Troy, where our mission is to inspire and develop future leaders of the Air Force and beyond. I'm Cadet Randolph. And I'm Cadet Marler, and today's guest is Captain Jake Bandrook. Um, so, sir, good morning. And um, we'd like it if you could give us a brief introduction of yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, Captain Jake Vanderook. Um, you guys could just call me Jake or whatever. Um, I, let's see, I went to, graduated from, uh, from Biola and commissioned in 2016. Um, before that, I was at a community college when I first joined ROTC as a AS100. And then, um, yeah, got my pilot, saw it my 300 year, went to uh, Laughlin Air Force Base for pilot training. And then after that, went to Altus for uh, C-17 qualification. And I'm a C-17 pilot at uh, Travis Air Force Base. Very, very cool. Um, so you said you were uh, across town, you went to community college. Yeah, um, yeah. How was it commuting to USC on Fridays? I mean, it was long. Uh, I remember we, what did we do? Like 7 a.m. or something like that for PT. Um, I mean, it was only one day a week, so it was never that bad, though. Yeah, so during this podcast, we'll, we'll kind of work our way um, up, like from ROTC transition into the Air Force. Um, okay. So as a cadet, um, what were the things that you did during training that most stood out to you and carried with you into the Air Force? Um, <clears throat> so I think the thing that had the biggest impression on me that made me do relatively well during ROTC was um, after my first semester, the uh, debt commander had like everyone come into his office for uh, feedback. And he asked how I thought I was doing. I said, oh, I don't know, probably like middle or so. And he said, yeah, I think you're probably the worst cadet in the detachment. And so it was super blunt, super brutal, but I think that's what really made me uh, realize, you know, that you need to do more than just kind of sit in the middle and, uh, yeah, let other, you, you got to do more. So that the next semester I joined um, Arnold Air and then uh, I tried to take more leadership responsibilities. Um, and I just really started volunteering for whatever I could, putting my hand up for everything. I think that really helped me uh, not only in like AS class and lead lab, then when I got to field training, I kind of did the same thing. That helped me there. Same thing as a, a POC. Yeah, just putting my hand up for everything really helped. Wow, that's um, interesting to hear from straight from your commander. Um, it probably stuck with you, like into the Air Force, even like yeah, hearing that. Yeah, um, yeah, no, definitely. It, well, so what did you do, like exactly after that? Like, did you have a game plan of like, here's exactly what I'm going to do to try to improve myself? Um. <clears throat> Well, I think my thing was that I, I could do the drill and whatever just fine, but I would never volunteer for anything. So it was really just like put myself out there volunteering to 
oh gosh, what do we do? Like lead the flight or uh, lead the GLP, not hide in the back. Um, yeah, that those were the main things that I feel like really helped me uh, get ahead. When you were told that by your commander, um, did at any point were you, um, let's say, like down, like? Oh yeah, I was pissed. Of yeah. course I was pissed. I was, uh, broke my heart, I was angry, but then uh, I think I just had to go home, do a little self-assessment. Um, so I joined in the spring semester of my 100 years. So that summer I went back home and I just remember I uh, studied the, the, what's it called, warrior knowledge? Studied the warrior knowledge a lot. I um, printed up all the, uh, all the, uh, oh, what is it? like the, the quotes, the big quotes that you have to memorize. And I taped those all over my room. And so that whenever I was just even in my room, I'd be like laying on my bed and I'd like see it. And I'd just try to memorize that to the best of my ability. Um, yeah. And then I came back the fall semester, just running, you know, uh, I hit the ground running and did pretty well. Taping the quotes on the wall is a really smart idea. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Or like in your bathroom. Yeah. Like, uh, the airman's creed and stuff. I had that tape next to wherever I'd brush my teeth so I could just read it every day that I brush my teeth. How's the warrior knowledge coming these days? Can't say that I remember it too well. There, it's there. All right, so um, with regards to leadership um, from Air Force ROTC, what, what did you take from your experience at ROTC that most applied to leadership in the actual Air Force? Um, so being, being uh, a pilot is kind of weird, right? Compared to a lot of other jobs in the Air Force. Um, a lot of other jobs, you'll come in as a second lieutenant, you'll immediately have whatever, a team of 10 to 20, pe 10 to 20 enlisted people under you that uh, you're supposed to lead. Coming in as a pilot, you start pilot training and everyone there is a second lieutenant and you have like no enlisted people under you you're just there to learn and even um then you go through you you'll become a first lieutenant and i didn't really have any real leadership experience until i started flying the c-17 and that's about two years after you even start pilot training right um and even flying the C-17, it's different because we have a crew and normally when we go on the road, it's like five people. And that's like the most amount of people that I've ever led. And so um, it's, it's different than other jobs, but uh, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, so I think a lot of it is instead of that kind of relationship where you have people under you or whatever that you need to lead, it's more of peer leadership when you go on the road. Um, everyone says that there's no rank when you're on the road. So you call everybody by their first name because um, when you try to separate, when you try to uh, 
establish a rank in an airplane, it just doesn't work out well. And that's how accidents happen and mishaps happen. So y'all try to consider yourself equals. And so it's more of the, it was a lot more of like peer leadership that we had to work with, like um, as a POC working amongst your uh, fellow POC or a GMC working amongst your fellow GMC. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So how long would you be with one air crew and how would that affect like the, the leadership situation and like bonding between all of you? Yeah. So we go on missions. Um, usually they're like six to nine days, something around there. Um, the one that I'm on now will have been gone for like three weeks and you're just with that one air crew for that amount of time. Okay. Um, yeah. So for every or for every uh, assignment that you go on, does the air crew switch up? Yeah, or, yeah. We you you almost never fly with the same crew twice. You'll fly with like the same people multiple times, but um, yeah, the likelihood of you getting the exact like same five or six people every time is it's not likely at all. Do you find that advantageous, or um, do you think there's pros and cons to both? Um. There's, there's definitely pros to flying with the same people over and over again, because you can kind of get in habit patterns and you know, okay, this is how this person operates. This is what they're thinking. I know that um, you can kind of predict what they're going to do more. So I, I definitely like flying with the same people more and more, but then it's also good to fly with new people. Uh, Cause I mean, the most, I learn the most whenever we're on the road together and we're having discussions about, flying or leadership or whatever. And it's really good to get those new uh, perspectives in. Right. Yeah. So during our first podcast, we talked to second Lieutenant Justin Thompson, who also happens okay. to be stationed at Travis Air Force Base. Um, he's okay. waiting to start flight training, UPT. Um, yeah. And so he talked a lot about that horizontal peer leadership. Do you think that's something that's exclusive to like the C-17 mobility community? No, no, that I would say that would be for the majority of air crews. I'm trying to think if there's anything that would have more like top down leadership. Um, off the top of my head, I could think of probably the AWACS would have a different kind of dynamic because in the AWACS, you'll have um, the two pilots and then like the flight engineer. And so those are those are the air crew and the, I think they also have a navigator. So two pilots, flight engineer, navigator, but then in the back you have one really high ranking officer who's usually like a, either a Lieutenant Colonel or Colonel. And he has probably 40 or 50 people under him um, doing all the stuff that the AWACS does. Uh, yeah, that's everything else in the air crew community is definitely more horizontal. Okay. Um, are, are there any instances that you have actually seen that vertical leadership or that you've taken part of maybe inside the um, C-17 or outside? Um, yeah. So back when, when we're not on the road, when we're not flying, we definitely have more vertical leadership at the squadron level. But again, um, my shop is me and four other officers. And 
yeah, most of the shops are officer run with multiple officers in them and maybe one enlisted person in them. Out of college, were you expecting to be forced into a leadership position? Were you surprised that um, after becoming a pilot that there wasn't as much um, leadership going on? I think, out of, I think I had a pretty good grasp um, when I graduated college. I think I knew what I was got going into because I had gotten the chance to talk to other pilots. And they, they said a pretty similar story where they literally had zero top-down leadership experience up until, I mean, really, you don't get a whole lot of that until you hit major in the flying community. All right, so sticking with that topic of transitioning to the Air Force, um, were there any other things like um, leadership or not um, that surprised you once you got into the Air Force? Not that I can think of right now. That's good. Think about That's good. It. Yeah, yeah. That means ROTC did a good job. Yeah. yeah right, I felt so pretty prepared going coming out of ROTC going in. Transitioning to our next topic, um, which is Air Force bases. You are stationed or TDY'd at Ramstein right now? I am TDY right now. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how are you liking it? It's pretty boring um, because we are quarantined into our hotel room pretty much. We could leave and get food. Um, so I've been in this hotel room for 12 days now, not really doing a whole lot, playing video games. That's about it. Do you have a favorite um, location that you've worked? Oh yeah, yeah. So um, going, flying out to Spain in Rota, uh, Rota Naval Air Station. That place is super fun to go to. Um, Ramstein, the place I'm at right now, is really fun to come to, like when COVID isn't a thing. Um, COVID has really just put a damper on a lot of the stuff that we used to be able to do. Yeah, so my dad is or was prior Air Force, and we were stationed at Ramstein. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I came here... Um, last October and we were here for a couple weeks and we took trains to Paris and uh, Luxembourg and got to really experience the European uh, lifestyle, I guess. Super fun. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff packed really close together. It's like an yeah. hour train ride from anywhere pretty much in Europe. Yeah. Which is really cool. So at each, um, or maybe specifically at the one in Spain, how are the like relations between like a U.S. Air Force officer and maybe someone who isn't um, from the United States? Have you seen that kind of um, conversation? Yeah. Or um, I mean, yeah, we, we work with the Spanish. I'm not super sure if it's the Spanish Navy there or just the Spanish military in general. I mean, everyone's super respectful. Um, you just treat people how you'd want to be treated, you know, um, there's definitely language barriers going through the front gate and stuff, but yeah, everyone's very respectful. And then going off of that, um, being in air mobility, uh, how, what is the scope of like how far it takes you? I, I mean, like 
how many different bases would you say you've been to? Uh, I've been to 32 different countries. So, wow. um, yeah. And I've been to probably, I've flown into probably like 10, 15 different U S states. Um, I'm gone a lot. Uh, normally we're gone about two weeks out every month on the road, um, just flying around. Um, but yeah, we go anywhere. So being like to that many places, um, what do you think you've taken from that? Like as a leader and as a person? That's a good question. Um, Okay, I got it. So sometimes you'll go to these really awesome uh, countries that you think you're going to have the best time with, but it all depends on the people that you're with. Some of the most fun I've had on the road are when you're with good people. Um, and so bromanship is huge in the flying community, but especially in the air mobility community, because we go everywhere all the time. You're stuck in a metal tube with the same people for uh, like a week straight. And so just being a good person that your peers want to be around, um, that makes all the difference in the world. Like some of the most fun I've ever had was going into Africa, going to really, really like not exciting locations and just the people that you're with make all the difference. Wow. That being um, said, Oh, go ahead. Get it, Randall. I don't have a question. Have you worked with um, difficult people um, throughout your career? I'm assuming so. And if yes. so, what would be your advice on how to kind of manage that as an officer and just, uh, yeah. Um, yes. So I have. And um, the, it depends on the situation that you're in because pilot training is different. Um, pilot training, a lot of the instructors will intentionally be difficult uh, to work with or to please. Um, and so that time you kind of need to suck it up unless it becomes like actually dangerous or uh, something like that. So then definitely talk to someone. But if, if you're in pilot training and they're being difficult, sometimes you just have to just get through it and uh, live to fly another day, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, when you're, when you're on the road or flying a local with someone that's just difficult to work with, um, you could be polite, obviously, obviously be polite. Um, but you could tell them, Hey, you know, uh, I don't like it when you, um, or could you ask him, could you not talk when I'm flying through a couple hundred feet when I'm about to land or something, if they're doing something that bothers you and any good person would obviously listen. Um, but sometimes, yeah, you'll encounter those people and, uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to deal with it still, you know? Yeah. With, uh, with those types of people, um, how does the reaction change when it's someone being difficult, like in your leadership above you versus someone who uh, might be below you in leadership? Um, so 
sorry. Like, what do you mean? So if um, like you're getting orders from like a major or a colonel and yeah. um, maybe, I don't know if you've encountered any difficult ones yet, but assuming they're being um, hostile or something along those lines, how would you handle that versus if maybe one of your air crew was um, talking or doing something to be distracting? Okay. Um, so yeah, everything's different on the ground or when you're flying on the ground. Uh, I was told, yeah, I was told when I was in RTC, everybody gets one, but sir, or I think they said two, but sirs. Um, so, you know, you, they tell you to do something You say, but sir, I think that this way is better. And they tell you to do it again. You can say, but sir, one more time and have a really good reason. And if they tell you to do it again, you just got to do it. Um, in the air, it's extremely different because um, safety of flight is the most important priority, right? So if um, yeah, if someone is, let's say, talking when they shouldn't be talking when they're when you're flying and it's distracting, you tell them to be quiet. Doesn't matter what the rank is, you know. Obviously, be polite first. Um, if they continue to do it, say, you can tell them that this is a safety of flight issue and I don't feel comfortable flying when you're doing X, Y, or Z. Um, and then, God, I haven't had any bad issues with any of our enlisted people that we fly with, our load masters. Um, they're all just really sharp, really respectful. And I think they understand uh, safety of flight is the number one priority. So. I haven't had anything like that happen. When you encounter those load masters, are they typically like uh, sergeants and above or uh, newly enlisted airmen? No, we, we got both. We got all types. Um, yeah, we have load masters in our squadron that are probably 19 years old all the way up to 40 years old. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, huge age range. So with you being on the road a lot and traveling to all these different countries and uh, places, does it affect your personal slash relationship or life? Um, yes, I'm, I'm married, but yeah, no, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Um, it's, everything is really last minute too. Um, I usually have like 24 to 48 hours of notice when I leave for a mission. Um, so it's hard. If you want, if you want to plan on something, just take leave. And even if it's for like one day, just take, if there's a concert or whatever that you want to go to, just take leave for that one Friday or whatever. And then you won't go, you won't be put on a mission unless it's something really uh, extreme, but I haven't had them deny me leave ever. So you said a little bit back that you're gone for about two to three weeks each month. So uh, what if yeah, about two weeks every month. What does it look like when you're back at home for the two weeks, not on the road? Yeah, so when we get back on the road, from on the road, uh, we get one hour off for every three hours that we're gone up to uh, four days. So um, yeah, when we get back, usually have like three or four days off um, and then when I go into the squadron, I work in our tactics shop right now where we kind of build, we'll build low level charts and stuff like that. Um, usually work from, 
it's not that bad. It's we'll usually be at work from like 10 to three or so. Um, but that's just when I'm working the desk job. Um, I also have to keep up with my currencies. So we do locals and Sims and I usually try to get like one or two either. Usually I would say two, a, two a month, either a local or a Sim or both. And then the, um, those can be done at like most, like Travis, for example, um, those like Sims. That yeah. You can yeah. We, we have a simulator at Travis. And so I'll just go into work and that'll be like a four hour event. Okay. Or if we fly yeah. local, that's like, uh, that's like 10 hours out of your day flying local. So is, um, this type of job something that you imagined and furthermore at pilot training is C-17 something that you're interested in? Yeah. Uh, C-17 was my top choice back when I, graduated ROTC, I knew I either wanted um, C-17s or F-16s because I knew that I wanted to do something that was multi-rolled. So um, when I got, I knew I wouldn't know what I wanted to fly until I flew the T-6. So I was like, all right, if I, if I really like the aerobatics and formation, then I'll try to get an F-16, which does uh, multi-role or if I get into the uh, heavy community if I like the uh, heavy community you know the instrument flying uh, going on uh, long like cross-country sorties then I'll go the heavy community and I'd want the C-17 so yeah this is my top choice Before going into flight training how um, what how difficult was that on you and what can you do like um, as far as receiving help or aiding like your other cadets there or not cadets, but uh, lieutenants. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, pilot training was definitely the hardest thing I will ever do in my life. Um, I would say it was about equivalent to college finals week for a year, just every week. Um, you'd be in the flight room 12 hours a day, five days a week. Um, and then you get back at night after you're there for 12 hours and you just study for like another three or four hours and then you go to bed and you'd wake up and do the exact same thing every day, five days a week. And then on weekends, you'd probably study like four or five hours each day on the weekend. Um, and so things that you could do to help you prepare and things that, um, make a better experience is Brahmanship. Um, just be a good dude that people want to be around. Um, the dudes that, and dudettes that go into pilot training that don't do well are the selfish ones. So you can see that coming from a mile away. Your classmates will, they'll all talk about it. And the, the flight commander and all the instructor pilots, they'll all notice a person that's really, uh, self-centered and self-serving and, um, they will never do well. So help your classmates uh, prepare for their sorties and then they'll help you prepare for yours. Um, study together on weekends. Um, and then, you know, everybody needs to decompress. So on the weekend, get together with them all and have barbecues. We did that a lot. We'd go up to San Antonio or Austin and have a good time there. 
um, yeah, just be that person that people want to be around. From what you've heard, do you think that that kind of experience was similar across different AFSCs and training that your fellow cadets went through? Uh, AFSCs, like other jobs in the... Yeah, so if they were yeah, training yeah. for like intelligence so on. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how theirs plays out. So prior to going to um, flight school, sir, um, what... This is kind of a back backtrack a little bit. Um, yeah. But really quickly, what, what did you major in? And if at all, did it affect um, uh, or apply to your career field? Uh, so I got my degree in sociology. And major doesn't matter at all for pilot training. Um, there is a lot of, uh, not a lot, but there's some aerospace engineer people that they would just they would debate with the um, the sim instructors would teach the academic classes and then they would end up debating the sim instructors when they're trying to teach aerodynamics and it was just annoying so no like uh yeah your your major degree doesn't matter at all for pilot training so just go into flight school with an open mind that's what it's yeah like. yeah so how long have you been a C-17 pilot at this point? I started, um, let's see, so I graduated pilot training in the, in the summer of 2018. And then I went to Altus after that, um, graduated Altus April of 2019. And then I had to go to SEER after that. And so I started flying the C-17 operationally on missions last summer. So summer 2019. What do you find the most rewarding out of being a pilot or what do you love most about your job? I know it sounds corny, but I really like the community, like just the people that I'm with. Um, I think the I mean, in the, on the enlisted side, the load masters are the best part of the enlisted force in the entire military. They are so sharp. They do their job so well. They're so professional. Um, and then the pilots too. Uh, I don't think anyone really gets through pilot training without being like a hardworking, motivated person. So everyone's really hardworking, but again, like every, everybody's good to be around too in my community. Um, yeah, just the quality of the people is as good as it gets. So thinking long-term, um, do you imagine you'll try to fly as long as you can, or is there something you had in mind once you get out? Um, you mean like after the military? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll probably want to do the airline thing afterwards. Okay. Is that something that you've had in mind Um Ever since graduating, you wanted to be an airline pilot afterwards? Um, yeah, that wasn't the driving goal, but I think it's just the best career option afterwards that I could do. Um, and it sounds it sounds fun, too. Seems like it would be pretty similar as far as mobility goes with going to one place, staying there, transitioning mm -hmm. elsewhere, traveling around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely uh, a little bit more Gucci of a lifestyle than I live. And it's, I mean, my life is already pretty Gucci as it is, but um, yeah, they, they do, they do less mission, less trips than we do, which would be nice, but 
ya. So, speaking on AFSCs and C-17s, um, what is the most exciting mission that you've ever flown? Or what's a good mission story that you are willing to share? <laughs> okay. Um, the most exciting, um, there were, so the most exciting mission, uh, tactically speaking, was one time I flew into Iraq, um, into a not very good part of Iraq, and I can't give a whole lot of details about it, but it was um, really spooky, and um, yeah, that was, I know, I know there's not a whole lot that I can talk about for that one. Um, one of the God, I don't know if I want to tell this one. All right, so there it was. We were uh, we were flying into Africa, um, and we had this is all right. Whatever, I'm going to tell it. So we had these dude on the uh, on the jet called Ravens. They are. Do you guys know what Ravens are? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. I'm not so security forces guys that fly in C7 in mobility aircraft to um, protect them in more dangerous countries. Um, so we had six Ravens with us and we flew into Africa and we were going, we were in Africa for about a week, bouncing in between two countries. And as you can imagine, with uh, six Ravens and six crew members on board, the bathroom got kind of gross, got pretty stinky. And um, we land at the first location and we say, hey, we need you to service the lab for us. And they told us that they didn't have any lab servicing capability. And so we were kind of screwed. And so we just started bouncing in between these two countries for a week and every day the lab got worse and worse. And not to mention the the jet was cooking in the 120 degree African sun. And um, every, whenever you flush the, the lab, it recirculates the water and so the, the toilet water. So it keeps on getting grosser and grosser every time that you flush it. And so it's fumigating just this poo-poo smell into the whole airplane to the point where we had to tape up the whole lab and just cordon it off. And um, eventually we go to this African airport and we ask him, can you do something about the lab? And this dude walked up underneath the jet in shorts, sandals, and a short sleeve t-shirt. And he just reached up and he unbuttoned the um, lab port and out dumped 14 gallons of no. gross poo-poo water all over him and we're like we need to leave so we left and the next day we came back to the same airport parked in the exact same parking spot they didn't even bother cleaning it so the african sun had turned this fluid into a cracker of poop and it was that that's my uh i don't know that's the funniest story that i got but um it's crazy yeah Unfortunately, my most exciting story, I can't really tell. Um, 
one of my most rewarding was we picked up this dude. Um, the C-17 does air medical evacuation missions. Um, and we picked up this dude in a Pacific Island who was losing a lot of, he, he was like hemorrhaging blood. I don't remember exactly why, but we, um, we were flying back to Hawaii to take him to the hospital, kind of picking our way through thunder, thunderstorms and he lived. So that was pretty, pretty rewarding. Yeah. Um, did you ever get to talk to him or see him or like, no, no, wow. he was unconscious the whole flight. And so never got to talk to him. So I'm assuming it's another, uh, air force guy. I think so. Yeah. He's either air force or army. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Looking out for our people. Yeah. All right, sir. So before we close, um, do you have any last questions, Cadet Marlar? Uh, no, I'm good. Um, do you have any stories about ROTC that you might be willing to share? Or do you have any questions for us cadets um, who are still at Cadet 060? Um, yeah. Um, not any stories like specifically. I just think, again, be the kind of person that you'd want to be around. And um, that, that's going to get you further than anything, um, especially if people can see that you're trying hard and working hard, but at the same time, still setting, a set, setting aside time to help others. You know, if you see a dude that's struggling, I know it's hard because of COVID, but um, see someone that's struggling, learning how to make hospital corners, taking that extra like five minutes to help him learn, uh, that will stick with him. And then, uh, yeah, people remember stuff that you do for them. So just keep that in mind. Cool. Uh, any questions for us over you? No, no, I don't think so. Cool, cool. Well, thank you, Captain Bandrick, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit down and hop on a Zoom call. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, of course. Um, and thank you all for tuning in to Sound Off, Leadership Lessons with the Airmen of Troy. We hope you enjoyed listening um, as much as we did. And as always, keep calm, fight on, and sound off. <laughs>